Hello and welcome to The Joe Mobley Show. I'm your host, Joe Mobley, and you're listening to the only place in cyberspace where we talk about being conservative. We hit on current events, the politically correct cancel culture, and problems with civil discourse. But most importantly, we discuss what you can do to come out of the conservative closet. The Joe Mobley Show is a new and exciting podcast that airs weekly on Monday mornings. We have a range of controversial topics on deck. Even so, it's important that we hear from you what matters most. Be sure to send questions, comments, and things you'd like to hear discussed to ask at thejoemobleyshow.com. That's ask at thejoemobleyshow.com. To make sure you stay informed on the latest content, be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to great podcasts. Hello, we have with us today Anne Gumala. And Anne is one of my dearest friends. Uh, we've known each other for a number of years. One of the uh, first people that my wife and I met when we moved to Oklahoma, uh, where we unfortunately spent six years, but fortunately a lot of that time uh, was spent with our guest Anne. Um, so Anne is an Okie girl, uh, born and raised in Oklahoma. She's got an MBA from Cameron University uh, right there in Lawton, Oklahoma. And Anne, are you actually from Lawton? You were born there? I was. I was born and I, raised there. <laughs> I thought as much. Um, so Anne works in contract procurement for hospital systems with one of the uh, largest family companies in the world. And Anne, how are you doing? Doing good. I'm excited to, to be on your podcast, Joe. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to, obviously, we just spoke in what Zencaster calls the green room, which is literally exactly where we are now. Um, but, you know, like we were saying, you so far, by far, the most dynamic guest that we've had, we could talk forever. We actually had to get the podcast started. Like, oh, hey, this, this Saturday morning conversation is for a podcast. Oh, so. I love it. Um, Tell us about yourself. Tell us, you know, how you got to be where you are. Sure. So, um, so I am, like Joe said, I'm originally from, from a small town in Oklahoma, um, grew up in the same town my whole life, went to the same church for most of my life, knew lots of the people that were from there too. And, um, so I, once I finished, I, so I did my undergrad in graphic design. So I'm actually a fine arts major for undergrad. And then I went on to my MBA at the same school. And at that point I thought, you know, I'm going to go on a big adventure and I'm going to move to the big city of Tulsa, Oklahoma. So, <laughs> so I, <laughs> after, after knowing Joe and Eliza for about three years, I, I moved to Tulsa and, um, worked for an accounting firm up there um, for a couple years. And then, um, I actually met my husband online and, um, but yeah, so, but it, so it works. Um, and, uh, we, we got engaged and so he was already established out in California. And so I, um, made the decision to move to Orange County, which, has quite a few more people than Tulsa. So, so this definitely is a big city experience. And um, so I've been out here for a little under three years. Um, like Joe said, I work for a large global company in medical devices. And um, just that's what I've been working at for the last two, uh, the last few years. And 
Um, we're really involved in our church out here and I help lead a connect group and um, just really love talking with people. So this, this works out for Joe. So <laughs> <laughs> it does, it does indeed. Um, so it's always funny the the listener experience is so different than what really yeah, happens because sure. at this point, I, what time is it? At this point we've talked for like an hour, yeah. but here we are <laughs> doing an introduction. It, it yeah. sounds like, Oh, they're starting this conversation. Uh, it's, it's it. one of those behind the curtain. Kind We're good of at rehearsals. So yeah. <laughs> Yes, we've prepared rigorously for this. <laughs> um, yeah, so at its heart, what the Joe Mobley show is all about, which is still weird to say, I'm still, you know, I've recorded, this will be the third interview that I've recorded, and it's still weird for me to say my name with a V of a show after it. <laughs> um, so maybe one day, I don't know, maybe I can ask Dave Ramsey or something, like, D does this get normal or is this always weird? <laughs> I love um, it. But the point is, you know, there are so many shows, so many outlets for debate, um, for deepening your learning, for hearing the other side, whatever the other side means to someone. And a lot of those resources are great and I love them. I, you know, I subscribe to some, I listen to all sorts of stuff. But man, I, I went out into the market and I was like, where are people talking about having less popular opinions and voicing them in society? Mm. Because that's the group that I need right now. Um, mm -hmm. I, I work for one of the largest consultancies in the world. Um, many of my colleagues are, are very expressive with their political ideologies. Mm. Um, and it's just like, uh, it seems like at least at work and certainly in social groups that there's only one opinion or one side ever said publicly so i'm like man do people talk about this like you know yeah. right now the episode's airing later but right now we're a week after the 2020 election everything is up in the air and um i think the last counts that i saw was like 76 million people voted for biden harris 71 million people voted for uh wow. trump pence so everyone's a democrat and it's like wait a minute 71 million people isn't a small number by any stretch of the imagination, but as a percentage, 71 million to 76 million is statistically almost dead even. We're talking like 45% right, people. Right. Well, I don't know about you, but in California, uh, you probably, you know, four out of 10 people are probably not outwardly conservative. Yeah, it's it's been such an interesting perspective because, you know, that's actually one of, I'm glad you started there because that that's been one of the things moving from, you know, where non-conservative values and views are very they're they're existent in Oklahoma, but it's in a much smaller, you know, in proportion to the state as a whole. And then moving into the opposite state. Um it's interesting because just in this one area, because I live in Orange County, Orange County is more conservative than L.A. County. So just in that one small region, you have such polar views. And then, you know, obviously there's trickled in in each of those counties where it has the mix. But um, so most of this election cycle, 
I've only seen signs for Trump Pence. I did not see very many Biden Harris signs. And it's probably, I wonder if that's because of the the tendency for the state to be more democratic as a whole in, you know, because of San Francisco and, and whatnot too. Um, but I, th- that was very interesting to me to see that because that's not what I expected. I, I kind of expected it to be very, you know, pro Joe Biden and see tons of signs everywhere, but they didn't do a ton of campaigning in Orange County. Um, I'm sure LA County, they probably did more, but that that was interesting. We had the same experience here. So, um, you know, Ann knows, but for the listeners, I live in the DC metro area. Um, So you'd expect on the Maryland side, on the Virginia side and in DC, you'd expect just Joe Biden signs everywhere, uh, and that was, <laughs> to you know, my surprise, that was not the case. Um, man, it's it's just weird. So that's mm-hmm. those are the circumstances under which this podcast is being recorded. Yeah. Things are super weird right now. Uh, yeah. Most people that even enjoy the news, I enjoyed the news from time to time, have like <clears throat> sworn off of news for the next thirty days. Yeah, uh, because it's just nuts. You know, read a yeah. book or take up a hobby. Maybe I'll break out the old crochet needle or something <laughs> and pick that back up. I like that's your hobby of choice. <laughs> it is dexterity. Hey, you know, <laughs> professional quarterbacks do it to keep their hands frosty. I did and not know that. Dexterous. Um, <laughs> The more you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so, and tons of stories about crocheting, but that's but for yeah, the yeah. other podcast, the Joe <laughs> Mobley Knitting Corner or something. Uh, I so, love it. but yeah. I hate that this is the word that's being used now because uh, I've been listening to the Megan Kelly show, which is also new. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure she's used to her name being a thing already. Yeah. But, you know, in, in her intro, she says that they talk about provocative things. And it's the reason that it even be considered provocative is because something strange has gone on in the country. So I hate to describe it that way, but that's mm-hmm. the way it is. You know, do you feel like conservatism is the the closet issue, as in the keep it to yourself, you know, hide it, don't be figured out uh, issue right now in our society or do you think that we can just kind of be openly and proudly conservatism or conservative i i like how you put that i like how you phrased that how you said conservatism is in the closet (laughs) it's like a closet opinion you have to you can't really say it as much and i i do agree with that statement um that's the tagline of the show coming out of the conservative closet yes because it's real I I actually just going back even cuz this started for me years ago. So I was actually a senior in high school and um we I was you know I was VP of my senior class and um so I was in my student council, you know. So one but set the stage. I'm in high school. So eight I think I'm 18 years old, you know. Super young. So there, it came to our, so we actually structured our student council just like a, like the government. So we had like a, we had a house, we had a Look Senate. at you, politics yeah, from day one. There you go. Exactly, exactly. And so it was really good because it did give you kind of like a, a real world kind of view of how it works and stuff like that. And so, um, so it all the way up to the point. And so what we did is if, 
there was a tie on something, I was the deciding vote. And so um, that's how they structured it. So the topic at hand at that time, so this is 2005, and was that there was an organization that wanted to start something called the Open Arms Club. And what that was supposed to be was essentially a pride organization for uh, within the school. And um, basically, anytime a new club organization wanted to start, it was voted on by the student council on whether or not they should start it. And I'm not sure why that was the case, but that's just how we did it. And um, so it was a hot, it was a hot topic, you know, being in a small town in Oklahoma in 2005, when a lot of this was still pretty new and social media wasn't really a big deal at that time. At that time it was Zanga. So wow, what <laughs> a world. Social Zanga, media wasn't a Zanga. Yes, wow. Zanga and MySpace. Those were the two things. So so there were People still used some to element, write blogs, but, like yes. little personal blogs. Yes. Mine was called The Chronicles of Boredom. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I'm even know so if I had a title to mine. <laughs> I do so my my screen name was Dash Girl 5 because I love Dashboard Confessional so much. So I don't know if that. Wow. Yeah. So there you go. That's that's pretty embarrassing. <laughs> so, but so so anyway, so that so I remember so there, this was going on and, you know, I don't remember how long it was, may have been like a month or something that they were, you know, they had to do different things. They did like get votes and blah, blah, blah. So there was a state that the student body was going to vote on it. And I don't know why it got to that point, why it became such a big deal where the student body was going to now vote on it. But essentially, if there would have been a tie, I was the deciding vote on whether or not this organization could come to being in our school. So our advisor for student council, she also was like the student activities coordinator and whatnot. She was in her 60s, I think, at this time. And she was super liberal, like extreme, like she had a bumper sticker that said Roe v. Wade is awesome or whatever, that kind of stuff. Wow. And like, literally she had a bumper sticker that said something along those lines. And so, and you know, my family that I grew up in, I'm grateful. I grew up in a family where we both, we were very, no matter if you differed with somebody, you still treated them with respect and honor because they're a person, you know? And so, and each person is entitled to their own opinion. So anyway, so this is the woman who is our advisor. And so after student council one morning, we had a mo- meetings every Tuesday morning. She came up to me and she said, if this comes to a tie, how would you vote? And I said, I would vote no. And she looked at me and said, I'm so disappointed in you. And she walked away. And I remember thinking in my head, just like, I just was, you know, at that time being so young and, you know, you were very much trying to kind of explore and figure out who you were, that it hurt me so bad because I had always tried to be kind to people. I'd always tried to, you know, follow the rules and be a good student, be a good example and blah, blah, blah. And this one issue was going to be the issue that caused my advisor to now no longer respect who I was as a person. And that was just, it was very eye-opening for me. And that was in February of 2005. And I was so grateful. My parents, I had saved up and we'd worked together. And so I was able to actually go overseas on a trip over spring break to Paris. And um, so I, I remember 
just trying to make it to spring break. Cause I was just like, Oh my God. Because after that, it was so awkward because people thought I was, I mean, and actually ended up passing it. You know, I didn't even have to make the vote. And so, but still even that, just because people knew that about me, it was so interesting how my friends stopped talking to me. I, people that I'd known since elementary school, like kind of avoided talking to me. And it was, you know, it was really hard because you kind of were like, I just was showing, I thought we could share our opinions, honestly. Like, that's what <laughs> you're sharing your opinion, honestly. Why can't I share mine? <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's and a so, radical idea these days that yeah. you can, you and, can and just well, tell nowadays, people what you think. Gosh, absolutely. And so anyway, but I remember we got on the plane to go to Europe. I landed in Paris and I, that was the first time I'd been in a city that big at that age, probably by myself and, you know, definitely by myself. And I remember walking through where nobody spoke, was speaking English and nobody knew who I was. And I just felt so relieved because I was like, there's a much bigger world than my small town high school with these people who are being stupid about something so it's not insignificant, but it was just something that it was hard to believe. It's, it's trivial. It, it doesn't yes. have a huge impact on everyone's daily yes. life. Yes. Or just like how much people, yeah, just all that. And so, so that has always played such a big factor in my life in the sense that now all I want to do is I want to be a compassionate conservative. I want to still hold on to the values that I hold dear to my heart and have strong, deep feelings about, but I do want to try to be the nicest person, the most servant person, the kind of, you know, I want to be that example to show that just because you're conservative, it doesn't, it's not mutually exclusive just because you're conservative. You can't be conservative and kind, or, you know, I can still love my liberal friends (laughs) regardless of, you know, whether I'm liberal or not. So, so anyway, that's a long winded story to say, yes, I completely agree with your statement. (laughs) Well, that, that story is like the point of the show, which is hilarious because, uh, these, you know, these are totally unedited, unscripted and frankly unplanned even yeah uh shows you know i'm sure this will be one of those stories like joe has no idea what he's doing and you're right i i researched online how to do a podcast for all of a weekend and here we are we're doing it yeah um but man that story kind of encapsulates exactly what this issue is and this happened to you back in uh 2005 yeah yeah well funnily enough um, in 2005, I was in the 10th grade and the same thing happened to me. Uh, oh yeah, my so gosh. Different, different circumstance. It wasn't right. involving student body. Um, but I'm in, at this point, I don't even know if I'd call myself a Christian. I am, yeah. I'm in 10th grade, um, in in honors English with, you know, this this woman, I'm going to say her name because she's a hero of mine. I've written yeah. her probably once a year, every other year since yeah. I graduated high school, which is more than, well, I won't say. It, it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while <laughs> since I graduated high school. Um, uh, but yeah, this woman is a hero of mine. And I don't know 
I don't know if she is conservative or liberal. It doesn't matter. I don't know if she's a Christian or a Muslim or Hindu or right, a religious right. person. None of that matters. She, right. she interceded for me and did the right thing. I'm in English. I'm, uh, I, I told you before, I came to Christianity largely through hyper-accurate historical, um, you know, just how hyper-accurate it is mm-hmm. with the history of the world. Mm-hmm. science, philosophy, those kind of things. I'm looking at ancient text. I'm I'm listening to, uh, you know, I, I'm not like trying to tear into everything. I, I just want to be in accordance with whatever's true. I don't want to be mm-hmm. right, but I don't want to be a fool kind of yes. doddering around following some frivolous, you know, I can create the the universe of understanding in my head and my little finite existence. So mm-hmm. I'm on this pursuit of truth. I'm kind of, I looked at some other religions, actually, which a lot of people don't yeah. know about me, but I studied some other religions yeah. uh, as, as a teen, and this is a time in my life where I've just been emancipated. My parents yeah. have moved away. I'm, I'm essentially a very young man living by myself, uh, which is not as cool as people think it is. I was so lonely. I, I sought out, yeah. you know, kind of refuge with other families who happen to be Christian families. Uh, but anyway, I digress. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I, I wrote this, like, I'm kind of in emotional, spiritual turmoil at this time in my life. I'm figuring things out. I'm definitely apolitical, you know. Yeah. I, I'm from New York, you know, and I right. moved to Virginia Beach. Um, but I did my formative years there. Virginia Beach is definitely a more liberal piece of Virginia, you know, large right. population. So we had to write these papers, and honestly, I can't even tell you exactly. I still have the paper, but I can't tell you exactly what the point of the paper is or the argument, but I end up making a controversial conservative-based argument, and I kid you not, because you know me as buttoned-up Joe Mobley. Yeah. (laughs) I kid you not, this is a time where my political thought is so immature that I honestly couldn't tell you what liberal ideology is what conservative ideology is i couldn't name any you know i wouldn't know at the time president bush what political party he was yeah yeah i'd just be he was the president you Mm -hmm. know i Mm -hmm. didn't know what party clinton was um so (laughs) that's me then and i i make some overtly and apparently controversial statements about my what i believe totally subjective joe mobley 10th grader opinion and the student teacher, and it, honestly, thinking about it, it might have been Roe v. Wade. It was something constitutional. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, how dare I put my personal opinion in this paper? But So I write this paper. The arguments are, are sound. I, talk, I articulate the points well. We had a student teacher who... I don't know how they allowed this woman to come into a high school... Uh, one of her first days, she wore a see-through blouse, um, a, a literal sheer see-through blouse, which is just, it's inappropriate for wear anywhere, but especially yeah. in school um, with all these teens. And she's a college student, you know? Yeah. You know, if we're calling a spade a spade, my recollection is she was a very young, attractive woman. Yeah. Um, so she graded my paper. And uh-huh. um, when I get my paper, Miss Sanderlin, the teacher, Chris. Kristen Sanderlin, excellent educator, excellent woman, changed my life in this one action. 
Uh, my papers got red marks literally all over it. And Miss Sanderlin had like redacted it because she actually wrote oh. some things. And I'm sorry, Miss Sanderlin, you didn't know. I actually, <laughs> I've, I've always been into kind of crime and mystery. So I actually did the little, um, <clears throat> the little ink test on this to, to see what she wrote because Miss Sanderlin had taken the same color pen and basically scratched out a lot of things. Oh. And to be frank, the student teacher wrote some hateful things on a, a young teen's high wow. school paper. Um, I believe that she gave me a 47. Um, I ended up getting a 97 on the paper after Miss Sanderlin oh. fixed it. And when she gave it to me, she, she knew that I'd be able to tell that something had happened. Mm-hmm. And when she gave it to me, she told me, you know, I'm so, she apologized on behalf of the student teacher. She said, I'm so yeah. sorry, uh, Joe, you know, I, I'm so sorry that this happened. Um, and she just encouraged me. She didn't say any of her beliefs. If she agreed, if she disagreed, she said that this is a well-written paper. You articulated your points well, you argued well, you gave facts and evidence to support your thesis. She said, this is excellent. This is honors English work. Um, she said that she was proud of me. I wanted to take a quick moment and let you know that there is additional content from The Joe Mobley Show available for those of you who contribute to the show. To get access to the rest of The Joe Mobley Show's content, go to thejoemobleyshow.com and hit support the show. Any amount over $1 gets you access to exclusive content. That's right. We'll take whatever you're willing to contribute, but just $1 gets you access to exclusive interview content, Q&As from our listeners, and more. Now let's get back to the show. I didn't know I was taking a controversial stand, and it certainly wasn't publicly. It was a private paper that was supposed to be read by a teacher and given back to me with a grade. Right. But those were the stakes in 2005, and it hasn't gotten any better. Yeah. No, that is, that, that's such a good point. Um, I, cause I've even caught myself sometimes on Instagram. I'll see, I have like a, some, you know, family members or different things that they'll have different opinions and stuff like that. And so they'll blatantly post some sort of meme or whatever. And in my head, I'm like, you know, I start grumbling in my head, but then I was like, <laughs> this person probably has not thought much exactly what you were saying. I love I love how truthful that is too, where you're just honest, where you're saying like, this is the non-thinking Joe or not non-thinking, but at that time you were just very like, George Bush is the president. That's all I know. You know, that kind of a thing. Cause I was even, (laughs) I'm the same. Like I, I knew some of the ideas of like, I knew what Republicans were equated to, to a point. And I knew what Democrats were equated to, to a point, but not, not into even now I still don't know fully, like I'm not entrenched in politics or anything, but, um, but I think about what I believe a lot more deeply now than I did in the past. And what you mentioned too, is that constant desire to know the truth, the pursuit of truth. And I think that that is what is fascinating is that when you are on that journey and you are more, um, I'm sorry, I'm trying to get to the point of what I'm saying. 
basically when you're on that journey for the pursuit of truth and you're willing to, to take in different thoughts and ideas, like I actually love that you looked into other religions and that you studied different things because it helped you get to the point where you're at. Cause I think that that's where in my upbringing, there were times where it was like, this is the truth, but don't look at that other stuff. And not that you should study that other stuff maybe as deeply or anything, but it's good to somewhat understand the background of where people are coming from. Great example. So my husband, you know, he was a Christian. He was born and raised a Christian in a Christian home and whatnot, but he's from India. And obviously the two other major religions there are Hinduism and Islam. And, you know, so he had tons of friends. I mean, gosh, especially Hindu, tons of people. Like I've never met this many Hindus in my life now. And, but it's been such a good exposure to understand the cultural context of where someone's coming from. And then taking my, what I know as truth and putting it into a different set of lenses. And all it does for me is it helps solidify the truth that I already know. And because of how I, what I base it off of. And I don't know if any of that just made sense. I'm sorry if that did. kind of was a rambling. But that's, I, that's the great attitude. It's not, you don't want to be right. You, you just want to be in accordance with what's true. I think the bumper sticker of what you just said is the more you know, the more you grow. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I like that. I'm going to put that on my car now. So. <laughs> Yeah, but, <laughs> brought to think, you by a Hindu yeah. or something. <laughs> <laughs> brought to you by the Joe Mobley show. So no, there you go. But no, I, well, and that's what I think that, so, cause I think what happened is, um, so when I was in Lawton during the time that we actually knew each other, I was going to counseling about once a month and initially it was for a specific subject. But then, um, as I went, it was really became more of a, just kind of a, like a mentoring type of relationship with my counselor, which was great because it really helped me to learn how to think deeper. And even now there's times and also being aware of myself emotionally, internally. And I think that that to me is one of the primary reasons why I have to limit myself so much on social media, because I have found, especially in this year with everything that's gone on, that I can be going along, enjoying my morning. And then I'm like, Oh, let me look at Instagram. And then I get on Instagram and I'm at this emotional high, this emotional low, this emotional high, this emotional low. And it's like the post you're looking at, it's like political, political, cute baby, food, political, political, <laughs> cute baby, someone's grandma died. And it's like the range of emotions I would go through in that two minutes of scrolling. I was like, this doesn't feel healthy for me. <laughs> And so I, that's why I had to get off. And so, and because what I found is that now when I have encounters with people, which I mean, I don't like, it's not like someone at the grocery store immediately is like, I'm voting for Biden, you know, like, you know, but as I have encounters with people about controversial subjects, I'm so much more And I guess, I guess I'm so much more even in my emotion when I go into those situations and I can approach it from an objective view instead of being so emotionally reactive at the drop of a hat. And that's what I feel like all social media does is it makes you emotionally reactive. So, but yeah, at, anyway, I at the heart of it is people want to be right. 
And yes, um, yes. one of the, one of the points of the show is what can we do about it? I, I think that sure. conservatives, you've got to come out of the closet. You've got to, you know, you don't have to be some some intelligent debater or you know this big scholar or whatever. Just yeah. like you don't need to be a theologian to tell people about right. your faith and maybe why you believe the Bible. You don't have to know it all. Guess what? Nobody does. Your pastor doesn't know. Your professor doesn't know. Biden doesn't know. Trump doesn't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyone who tells you they got it all figured out, they're lying to you. Mm-hmm. Straighten your face. Probably just leave that opinion there and walk away. But we've got to do something because right. otherwise the world is just going to believe whatever narrative is yes. said about us, which is mm-hmm. largely lies, you know, mm-hmm. obvious lies. Like I'm a conservative person. I'm a gun owner. I'm a Christian. Uh, I, I have, I'm a dad. I have three kids. Am I a white supremacist? Probably not. Well, all conservatives are white supremacists. Well, that's, <laughs> that's just a hard sell that this inner city black kid, um, and I, I'm not from abject poverty, but you know, no, but we lived still. at the poverty line. It's a hard sell Yes. To paint me as a white supremacist. So anyway, we yeah we gotta you know talk about these things, and you know we're trying to. One of the things that I want to give to the listening audience is some practical advice, and um, yeah, you know that pursuit of truth. This is a challenge, and I I've put it to some conservatives, and they they come up empty. Uh, but I'll tell you that I've had. I'll, if we say pass fail, I've had more of my conservative friends pass this test than uh, fail and liberals. I'm still it's still a goose egg. Please, if you're out there, I'd love to talk to you and I'd love to hear how you pass this test. But just ask someone, um, you know, what is a belief that you held that you changed your mind on essentially that you were completely wrong about for me? There are tons of things. One that's come up on Twitter in the last 24 hours is, uh, you know, I, I have a lot of opinions about law enforcement. Um, my opinions are more authoritative than other people. Um, but no-knock warrants. I was a staunch supporter of no-knock warrants, and and I had a lot of reasons, well-reasoned reasons, sure. to articulate that point. And I flip-flopped completely. But the necessary step there is to say, hey, I was wrong. I argued on the wrong side of this issue for years. I was wrong. That's okay. I'll survive. I'm not going to get fired. I'm not a bad person because I was wrong about that. So if you stake, uh, there's a quote, and I forget whose quote this is. I, I know it's a, a pastor or someone that I heard on probably right now media. Um, mm-hmm. But if you, oh, no, it wasn't. It was Winston Churchill, not a pastor. Oh. There you go. <laughs> but, you know, never stake your opinion so close to your ego that one yeah. can't get shot down without the other. Mm, that's good. So we've just got to, you know, we need to be willing to say, hey, I was wrong about this. And if we go into the conversation just with that mindset, then we'll have a much better time. Right now, it sounds like this. Liberals are right. Conservatives are wrong. Liberals can speak in public. Conservatives can't. You can wear your Biden hat to work. If you wear your Trump hat to work, unless you work for an overtly conservative company, you're probably getting fired. Yeah. No, I that I'm just digesting everything that you said because um, I'm actually in a course right now. I'm doing the the RZIM. It's Ravi Zacharias. Um, 
he's doing a course. There's a course called the core module. And the whole point of this course is to do exactly that is to break down your beliefs and to one of the challenge, one of the challenges, what uh, not challenges, one of the assignments during it is, um, there's actually going to be a session where we are supposed to interview multiple people with different worldviews that we have, because the more that you think about other people's worldviews and apply them to your own, it really does open up kind of like what you were saying about the, the no knock warrants, just like how you were like, this is totally my opinion on this and how you came to, to see later that your opinion changed. And you know what, Joe? that's okay. And you know what, in 10 years, your opinion may change again. You know, there's, I think that that's where there's those subjects where it's like, there may be changes in your life and that's okay. Like changing is okay. And I think that that's a big part of it too, is that people feel like if you change your opinion on something, you're a hypocrite or that you're, Oh, look at this person. She's floundering in her opinion. Or they think, um, personally, I can't ever change my opinion. If I'm, if I'm a Republican, then I have to believe every single point that whatever's in the Republican manifesto or whatever the document is. And it's like, <laughs> no, you can totally, there's, you can have differing opinions, even from the people that you identify with. Like I think about the church, you know, they talk about the hills to die on. There's those subjects that are, you know, they are very moral based subjects. Um, the the within, essentials. Within conservatism. Yeah. yeah, like obviously within conservatisms, there's some essential things that if you don't believe this, obviously, then you're not probably conservative. But then there are things where I don't know what the answer is on some of it. So for me personally, I constantly have to always go back down to my base belief system of like the very simple parts of it. And then I build up from there because God, there's so many things. I still remember. Um, I remember going to, um, when I was in high school also, I was a page, which basically you go and you stay, um, you go and you work in the Capitol for a week and you, um, help run errands for the senators and whatnot. And, um, so you're with all these people from all over Oklahoma and you get to know them and it's fun and you get to see the, you know, the democratic process and whatnot at the state level. And, one of the days they actually have you do a debate. And um, so they have you sit in the Senate seats and you actually, you know, you are Senator whoever, and you have a, a house debate in the form, like following Robert's rules of orders and all that kind of stuff. And the issue was on tattooing. And at that time I was so anti-tattoo parlors. Like I was just <laughs> like, and it was because of where I was raised. I was so, it was totally where, because of where I was raised. Cause in, in Oklahoma, they didn't even legalize tattooing until 2006. And so, um, you always had to drive across the border for it. <laughs> so, and <laughs> I know controversial. And so, but so then, Hank, Hank's going down the Wichita Falls. Absolutely. To get probably, I knew Hank <laughs> at that age. So I bet he did. So. Wow. <laughs> but so, so, and it's so interesting because as I went to college, because I was an art major, I started to see how people used tattoos as forms of beautiful expression. Sometimes it was not beautiful, but you know, beautiful expression or to, to 
you know, commemorate a loved one or whatever. And then they were just, they were beautiful works of art. And a lot of times they would be in a place where you may not necessarily see like on the back or something like that, unless someone was, you know, wearing a swimsuit or whatever. But, and I realized at that point, you know, cause there was this constant battle of like, okay, is tattooing okay? Or is it not okay? And I know this is a very general example, but, but at that time now, now I don't care. I'm very, it's one of those things where for me personally, I, I hold an opinion, but for the external people around me, whatever they want to do, I don't care, you know? And wait a minute now <laughs> that's bold. So people can just do whatever they want as individuals. It's a shocking, you know, most people do come to me and ask for my opinion before they go do things, but you know, it's shocking to, I'm just kidding, but, uh, exactly. So, and that's, that's where I think that that's what I've seen. And again, I keep talking about how social media is this quote unquote evil. Cause I don't, I do not believe that. I think it's just a, it's a, a non moral tool. It's just a, a thing, but how people use it is what, you know, the, what brings the, the controversy to it. But, um, but yeah, so that's what I think is so interesting is how, even for me, there's been times where I've been tempted throughout this election cycle to go on and be like, get a tattoo for <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. here's my opinion about this thing. And then I realized I want people to have that conversation with me as a person because people know me as a person. They don't know who I am based on my social media account. And so you know, someone who I haven't talked to in 10 years, they may see that and go, oh, look at Anne. She is a white supremacist. She's this crazy <laughs> conservative person. And then I would just want to be like, yeah, I'm a total racist. Look at my husband, guys. Like, yeah. yeah, Eliza's you know. in the same boat. Yeah. It's like, this is absurd, yeah. guys. Yeah, so I, Essentially, so anyway. I'm, I'm married to a black, like, <laughs> pro-gun, pro-law enforcement, disabled vet, like... Super exactly. racist. <laughs> exactly. Well, and that's what's been so interesting too throughout all of this because the company I work for, because they are so large and global, and they they're more they're conservative in a lot of ways, but they're they are liberal. And we've had to have diversity inclusion workshops throughout this whole thing where we've oh, had don't I know it. We've had to participate and all that stuff, which is totally fine. But I think I think what is hard, what I've had to see is I've always had to go back to, and not everybody grew up the same way that you did or has <laughs> decided to think about these things. And I forget about that. And so I'm glad that they have them because I'm just think, gosh, if I thought or said some of the stuff that people think or say, my mom would have come across the room and slapped me in the face. <laughs> like, you know, like we would, we were not allowed to act like the way people are acting nowadays. <laughs> but anyway, um, that's a whole nother thing. But the, and you go back to the tattooing thing, just to say that that's probably one of the things that's just kind of more of a, I mean, now nobody, I don't know anybody who really cares about tattoos anymore, but yep, at that it used time, to be a big deal. It was a big deal or alcohol, Oklahoma didn't sell alcohol in the grocery stores until I moved to California in 2018. Yeah, yeah so, I remember. Like, you know, those are things that it's just interesting to see that. But then, you know, then there are the major issues, obviously, that, that, that I think they'll always be a controversial issue because it always goes back down to, I remember actually saying in one of those diversity and inclusion workshops that we had at the end, as I said, 
because they were specifically talking about the African-American community and how we should focus on that. And we needed to do these like historical, um, like history month type things every month and stuff like that. But then I was like, well, we should also do it for like the native American tribes. And we should also do it for, you know, Asian immigrants to the U S because especially coming to California, I've learned so much more about Chinese immigrants and Japanese immigrants and how they've been treated in the U S just because I said, there's so many people that have experienced this. And I was actually told by a white woman in this, and all of us were white in this six group, six person group, this white woman told me, she said, well, we can only focus on one group, the one that's experiencing the most oppression right now. And I was like, what? (laughs) How did that make sense? That's critical race theory and intersectionality at its heart. Yeah, you can, whoever the most oppressed group is. And I was like, well, other people. Well, I was like, well, let's cross the border into other countries. You want to talk about some oppression? <laughs> like, <Yeah>. you know, <laughs> there's a whole nother level of oppression. So, but, but anyway, so it's, it's been a very interesting because I tend to, you know, you only see the stuff through your own lenses and Pratique is really good. Pratique is my husband for those who do not know um, on the podcast. Um, Pratique is really good about getting me to stop and think because with him, I'm just myself. So like, I'll immediately fly off the handle or be like, I can't believe blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, what about blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, huh, that's a good point. So (laughs) it makes me take a step back. So that way I can be better when I go out into the world and, and have these conversations with people. Yes. Understanding through questioning. That's called the Socratic method. Some would say Socrates was a smart guy. But I don't know, maybe it was just terrible racist and all of his opinions and philosophical contributions are thrown out the window. Can I say um, one thing? Sorry, before yeah. we go off. So yeah. you're, what you just said, that's exactly so this RZIM course I'm going through, the first, the whole method of what they teach through is that behind every question is a questioner. And that's so true because he, so he tells the story of how he was talking to this woman about evil in the world, very philosophical, you know, high level conversation. And he said that she was asking all these different questions, but as he was listening to her talk, he glanced over and saw a, 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 a baby, a carriage, you know, with a baby in it. And, um, he could tell that the baby was born with some major, uh, physical deformity. And so he knew at that moment, the question coming from her was not specifically about this high level view of evil in the world. It was because she was dealing with something personal that she was struggling with. So he was able to answer her in a way that was answering her, connecting her heart and her head. And that's, that's what I feel like that's what's missing from all these conversations is people look at the black people and say, oh, these people are being oppressed and we need to fix this and blah, blah, blah. But they're not looking at the individual issues that people deal with to form their response or to form their questions. It's just, or their opinions. It's just very high level philosophical views i would say at some points i mean yes and and not not to go into that too deeply because that may not have come out the way that i wanted it to but just um 
realizing that anytime you're having, and that's what I, that's why I d- didn't care for with me being on social media personally is I love that individual connection. And I always feel like anytime someone has an extreme, uh, for an example, there was a, a, I saw someone on social media had reposted, there was a pro abortion or pro choice rally that was in DC last year. And this woman who was the speaker, she was this beautiful lady, you know, blonde, beautiful structure, great makeup, you know, nice glasses, dressed wonderfully, who was screaming into the microphone about how it was her right to decide whether or not she could abort her child, but saying it in a very more passionate and colorful language. And it was fascinating to me to watch her be so inflamed with this anger about this issue. Cause all I saw was, I wondered what was going on inside of her heart to make her get to this point. What, what caused her to become so impassioned to this level about this topic that she felt the need that she needed to go out publicly and scream at a crowd of people that already agreed with her about how, Everyone else in the world is wrong, and she was correct. How does that make her feel better? How does that make her fe- sleep better at night? And so I just, I, those are the kinds of questions I want to ask people, is how do you <laughs> live with yourself at night when you really deep think, think deeply about your opinion of what you're doing? You know, how is it affecting people? Anyway, sorry, that was a long. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. And it's tough because you need relationship to to get to the place where it's appropriate to ask that and you get some, some genuine yeah. feedback. Yeah. Um, so real quick, I'm going to ask you the last two quick questions because we're coming up on time and then <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we will keep talking because I definitely want to go yeah. back to um, touch on that lady for a second and yeah. not touch on that lady, like in a Joe Biden kind of way, but you know, um, <laughs> I love it. That was a great joke. <laughs> All right. So last two questions and then we'll take it behind the paywall. And if you're wondering how you can get behind the paywall and get the extra content that's not on the podcast channel, then go to thejoemobleyshow.com and hit the support the show button, which is still weird to say, uh, but that's thejoemobleyshow.com. And top left, there's a button that says support the show. Hit that, fill it out, uh, make your contribution, and then you get the rest of the content <clears throat> sent to you. Um, but last two questions. The first one is really serious. Really think about your answer. Do you think that I have any tattoos? <laughs> hmm. I'd say yes, based on the story that you told me earlier. Okay. Uh, is well, that, is that correct? We, we know each other pretty well, but not that well. So I'll, you know, some things just have to remain a mystery. Um, <laughs> I love it. Okay, so that'll be the unanswered um, question forever. Yeah, you can text Eliza, <laughs> I guess. Uh, I but, love uh, it. I love it. Uh, but the other question, of course, the only question that every guest gets is, aside from um, prescribed religious texts, I'm talking the Holy Bible, the Quran, Pashtus, whatever uh, religious texts you can think of, mm-hmm. if you could get everyone on earth to read and understand one book, what would that book be and why? So the, can I say two books? Yeah. The first book we'll is, is Boundaries by Dr. Henry Cloud and John Townsend. 
I think it's extremely applicable to every relationship that anyone has. Um, I read it. So again, we haven't spoke, but that book is literally on my nightstand. Um, I have three yes. books on my nightstand. One stays. It's a, a devotional, Eliza and I do. Um, mm-hmm. But that book is literally there now. And why? Because Thanksgiving, we have family coming over. Yes. And when family comes. Absolutely. <laughs> you need you need Henry Cloud. Well, I remember I thought I was reading it for family issues I was experiencing, but I was reading it during a time when I worked for somebody as an assistant, it helped me in my professional mm. boundaries. So yeah. it, it, it was good. It, I think it's such an applicable book that you can apply to almost every relationship that you have. So I think that's a, that's number one. And then number two is the grand weaver by Ravi Zacharias. Um, it's, you know, religious based, I would say, but it's not, it, it's not the Bible. So, <laughs> but it, it's, yeah, it's, that, it's that totally works. Book. I, I had Great someone book. pick my utmost for his highest and yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. But I'm not so, familiar with the book that um, you just said. Can you tell us a little about it? Yeah. So, so um, Rabbi Zacharias is a, an apologist for people that don't know who he is, and for people that don't know what an apologist is, basically he goes around, <laughs> or he did. He's he's he, he passed this spring, but um, he would go around um, the world, and he would basically go into settings where people would challenge him in regards to. Um, conservative issues, moral issues, um, questions of evil, very philosophical type subjects. Um, and he answered them and defended the Christian point of view. Um, and so that was basically his whole, his whole purpose, you know, his, his life, that's what he did for a profession. And so this book in particular, he talks about how the different events, and we spoke about this in the green room, how the different events in our lives, um, you know, he, mentions, you know, on the, when you look at a tapestry, one side will look like a big mess of knobs and threads and different things. And it doesn't really look like anything, but when you turn it over, it's this beautiful image of, of something that this weaver has, has made, has created and crafted specifically for that, that particular work of art. And so he takes that, that metaphor and ties it to our lives. And he talks about our lives and how there's oftentimes it can look like this jumbled mess of, of, you know, threads and everything. But on, on the other side, when we see it from a different perspective, we can see God's handiwork and the, and the, the beauty that is in our lives. It's a great book though. I think I cried through most of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's for those of you, if, if you're a reader, you've experienced that it's hard to read a book that's making you cry and you keep trudging through. It happens on nonfiction books, it happens yeah. on fiction books. It happens. Yeah. You know, if you've ever cried at a movie, you will certainly cry at a book if you start um, picking up books. Um, well, and thanks so much. This has just been a total pleasure. Uh, so much fun. We can probably talk for hours and, um, we, well, we already have cause we spoke for an hour before we started. Um, but that's, that's all we have, you know, outside the paywall. Um, so glad to have you everyone. This is Ann Gamala. Um, I would say check her out on social media, but it sounds like you can't, uh, <laughs> If you want to, it's Miss underscore Oki. I don't know if there's really anything that exciting, but that's my Instagram handle. <laughs> Miss underscore Oki. Very Oklahoma. I love it. it. 
It is. I love it. Your last name, people are probably like, wait, you're an Okie? It's like, well, yeah, people get married, you know, <laughs> things change. Um, but anyway, mm. pleasure to have you. Uh, this is, I almost said Anne. I almost said this is your show. Look at that. <laughs> Girl, you've taken over. This is the Joe Mobley Show. Thank you to the listeners and thank you, Anne. Pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Joe Mobley Show. Remember to subscribe and make sure you don't miss out on future content. You can always show your support by leaving a review or making a financial contribution by going to thejoemobleyshow.com and hitting support the show. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. If that was the first prayer you've ever prayed, I hope it won't be the last. Until next time, this is The Joe Mobley Show.